Hey, good morning. Hey, whether you're joining us uh, in person or online, really glad all of you are here, especially if you're new. And if you are new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. Very glad you are worshiping with us. Anybody lose power last night? Yeah, anybody up all night because that's just what you do when you lose power? You just kind of stay up thinking about it? That's mm, me. See, I, need people, I need to know people like that so, I can, so we can text each other. I'm looking for somebody to talk to. Anyways, one of the things I was worried about, I'm going to give you guys a shout out. One of the things I was worried about, it used to be with the old soundboard, sometimes if we had situations like that, especially on a Saturday night, wake up on Sunday and the whole thing is just kind of reset itself in a weird way and we have a chaotic Sunday, but the new soundboard that you guys helped, uh, you, we raised that money to, to replace to get a new one um, has been great. So shout out, thanks for that. Um, that was one of the things I decided I needed to be worried about at 12.30 last night, but it turned out to be nothing. Anyways, so um, in 2006, when um, my wife and I, we moved to Cabot, uh, we, for the very first time, we bought, we bought brand new couches. We never had brand new couches before. We were typically thrift store and um, garage sale kind of people. We got these new couches, and they were great, these brown leather couches, and we ended up having them for about 15 years and they kind of became, in my brain, they, they kind of became symbolic of, of this thing that would happen a lot and over the 15 years that we owned these, these couches. And uh, they kind of been like, we would have all these couples over, whether they were about to get married or going through some sort of marriage problem. They wanted some advice to kind of talk to us a little bit. Uh, like, he's like, you have couch time. And, and, and it was always the same. We would sit here and they would sit there on that couch. And then we did that for a few years at Cabot, moved them up here, had a rent house. They were there at this new house and these couches. And it's like, I was thinking about it. It was just like, I mean, probably close to a hundred different couples over those 15 years, right? Come to be a part of our house and kind of ha- sit on that couch. And, um, and just really some really good memories. And then we, we got some new couches, which is disorienting to me. Here's something you know about me. I'm highly change averse, right? Why, why, would we, why would we stop doing something that we're doing? Like it, we're, it's, grown, it's grown great. We had to get new couches apparently. And then they were in the fifth and sixth grade room for a hot minute. And I was like, do we, do we, do we now do marriage advice in the fifth and sixth grade room? I wasn't sure. We had the new couches. And then people would come over to the new couches. That was fine. I kind of got used to it. They were the same size couches. They were leather at work. And then we did something really disorienting where we switched the location of the couches because my wife, she just likes to change position of the furniture in the living room. And I'm like, hey, do you think we should move it? And I'm like, why would I ever think that? And she says, of course we are. So we did. And now we sit on the longer couch. And now this the smaller couch, the love seat, that the couple comes on. And I'm like, well, this is going to be really interesting. Because it used to be on the big couch, you could kind of make it, the couple had an opportunity to make a decision. And you could also just use it as a judge. How are they doing based on how close they sit on the couch, right? Now it's like four snuggle time. On the two-seater, right? And we did that on this week, and it ended, up, it, ended up being, it ended up being fine. But the thing that happens, you do, this, you do this over the course of so many years, and you have so many different couples. What you begin to discover is just a lot of different patterns. And this is kind of one of the things that I do. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a recognizer of patterns. I'm always looking for, for things that repeat. It's kind of the way that my brain works. And you talk to enough couples enough, you just start seeing so much of the same sorts of things. And these things that we observe, that we're interacting with people, these things that kind of inform the, the relationship series that we do every year. And one of the things that this has been coming up, it feels like this a lot, is, man, I don't know if the problem here, this couple that we're talking to, is really about the couple, 
right? There's a couple problems. It's just like we've got individual problems. There's some things that as individuals they need to work on regardless of this marriage. And if we just had two healthier people in this marriage, the marriage would be better. We're not, and the things that need to fix in the marriage, maybe they're not ready for because of kind of what's just going on with them. So that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, just kind of asking the question, are you, are you ready? Are you ready to be a healthy person in a relationship? And we had some questions that we kind of worked our way through just to kind of help you just kind of evaluate maybe some steps that you can take. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go um, go on podcasts and find, find that and listen to that. And then we talked about last week, we're in Ephesians 5, and we see this a lot, where Paul's talking about how kind of the key to relationships is submitting to one another, to kind of stop pursuing what you want in a relationship, but rather give up that in order to serve and love the other one. And if that person is doing it for you, then, then that's how a good, healthy relationship works. And he's describing that in a marriage, that what a, what a husband needs most from his, from his wife is, 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 her, is her respect to, to believe in him. And then what she needs is kind of his love, his cherishing, that sort of connection. And while those two ideas are very similar, they're different enough where we need to really be thinking clearly, like, what does my, what does my spouse really need from me? And most of the conflicts that we see come from, rather than thinking about, man, how can I really, how can I really honor and love my spouse like in, instead, I'm, I'm, we've kind of got this take mentality and we're not, I'm not loving well, I'm not respecting well, I'm not honoring. And the way that we've described it with people is that almost all of the problems that we, get enca- that we encounter come from an inability to love and respect each other well and we lack the communication skills to even talk about it. We can't even really diagnose what the problem is because we don't have great skills and even if we, when we do talk about it, we, we, it the, the conversation typically makes it worse. And so this kind of comes to the thing, like, man, really, one of the most important things, regardless of kind of what is going on in any of your relationships right now, if we lack the ability to even just kind of talk about it well and have good conversations that can heal and repair, these problems are going to get worse. And so that's why we want to spend some time today just kind of talking about just Maybe just some really good, simple tools for good communication that can just kind of help us in these conflicts, in, the, in, the, in these things. So you got this situation where you got two people, right? Somebody's upset and, and, somebody, and somebody's not, right? So, so somebody has been, somebody's been hurt, right? One person has hurt the other one. And, and what typically will happen is the person who was hurt by and large, maybe you, I mean, maybe you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, right? The person who was hurt goes into pure passive-aggressive mode, right? Just kind of, mm, mm. not saying like why they're hurt or why they're upset. And then, and then you've got other person who's, who's just kind of hovering around like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. We got somebody who's hurt who's playing this passive-aggressive game. And somebody's like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave this alone. And the question is, you've got somebody who's hurt and somebody who may or may not have noticed and may or may not be ignoring it. Whose responsibility is it? Whose responsibility is it to initiate the conversation to kind of find out what's going on? All right. I've got a couple of verses that, may, that, 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 that I think are really helpful in helping us understand this. They're both in Matthew 18 and both of them Jesus is being quoted. In Matthew 18, 15, 
Uh, Jesus says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. This is a principle that goes beyond just simply if someone has hurt you. It's broader than that, but it applies here too. If, um, if you see someone, if someone has done something hurtful, something has done something sinful, and you see them do it, and again, what that includes is someone has done something to hurt you. Someone has done something to hurt you. It is your responsibility to go to them. Again, with the idea of reconciliation, of kind of restoring and helping them. Hey, you, hey, you did this, you shouldn't. Hey, and, and to try to win them over. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus also says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now what Jesus is saying here is if you find yourself in a situation and it comes to you, there is someone that I have hurt. There is someone who has something against me that believes rightly or wrongly that I have done something that has caused them hurt. And he says in that situation, it is your responsibility to go to them and say, it seems that I have hurt you in some way. How can we be reconciled? So same person, same Jesus, Two different places, same book, probably just a few months apart, says two seemingly very different things. If you have hurt somebody, it is your responsibility to make it right. If someone has hurt you, it is your responsibility to go to them and to make it right. So it does not matter who did what to whom, who is, quote, at fault. Whatever the situation is, if you are the one that did the hurting or if, if you are the one that is hurt, it is your responsibility. So the answer to the question, whose responsibility is, I'll say it this way, it's, it's your responsibility to initiate. It's, it's yours. It is always yours. It's always your responsibility. There is never a time where you get to think like we all do, um, it's on them, it's them. It's they're, they're, they're the ones that have, now it's, it's on them. You know, and so, and you're, you know, it's, it's not that I'm not communicating to them. I have been giving them the cold shoulder all day. And I've been kind of grunting at them and, 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 and turning at them. <clears throat> they know. They, they know what they did. And I have been being rude to them all day long, communicating to them oh so clearly what's going on. So they know. And then you've got the person that's just, again, the conflict avoider who sees the cold shoulder and the anger and the, and the kind of the heat that's coming from over there. And you're like, ah, they seem upset. I mean, but I get, if they want to talk about it, they can. I'm sure if they're upset with me, they'll let me know when they're ready. So we've got all these good reasons why it's their responsibility, but in fact, it's ours. And again, allow me to just can say this for the third time. Passive aggressive pouting is not communication. Okay, whoever needs to write that down, write it down. We're talking about initiating a conversation. I did not like that when you did that. When that happened, it hurt me. Some sort of verbal communication needs to happen. And so there's something that happened to me, right? 
And um, there's, a, there's an awesome woman in our church, Alex Fitton, and she does Enneagram coaching. It's a personality test. And for a hot minute a couple months ago, Enneagram was, was getting a bad thing. There was a, a Christian leader that came out and said she believed it was demonic. I'm not trying to necessarily get into that. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, it's fine. But anyway, to, to me, it's just a really good, insightful personality tool. And I'm in this, this coaching session that she's doing for people who, who share my Enneagram number, which is, if you're into this, it's nine, which is kind of the person who tends to always be thinking about other people's feelings and trying to always maintain a lot of peace and those kinds of things. And I've read a lot about it, and I consider myself an insightful person, an introspective person. And honestly, in situations like this, I like to hear stuff, but I'm always like, then no one's going to say anything I don't know. And it's been a real interesting journey for me over the last four or five years as someone who perceives himself as to be very self-reflective, you know, very introspective, very knowledgeable, that the incredible journey that God has had me on to just kind of learn not just small things about myself that I didn't know, but pretty big life-altering ones. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Alex and she's just kind of, I mean, she's, it wasn't even a big thing. She was just kind of going through this list. And she's like, and one thing about you guys, people who are Enneagram 9s, is you think that you are clearly communicating what you want and you need, and you're not, and no one really knows. And my first reaction was, well, that's garbage. <laughs> that's just, that's absolutely not true. It can't be true. But then the, the other people in the room were just kind of like, mm, I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> so then I text my wife, and I said, guess what Alex just said? Da, 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 I text it to her. Awkward pause. Text back. I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to respond to this. <laughs> so that was a couple of years ago. And um, it's just been real interesting for me to just kind of understand something about me that I, that I, that I wasn't particularly aware of. That, that, that I think that I'm communicating clearly what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I want, how I'm hurt. And I'm not. And it really is just coming across either in passive-aggressive ways or it's just not coming across as anything. And that ultimately what I need to do is I need to be more clear in initiating conversations. Again, whether I'm the hurt or the hurt, I'm the one that's doing the hurt, the hurting, or I'm the one that is hurt. I need to be the one that is taking the initiative in this conversation. And I need to make sure I say this too, because this is also something else I'm, str I'm struggling with. And you get the benefit of today of just kind of hearing about things I struggle with and me just passing information on to you. Um, I think in my brain that if I follow all the rules, okay, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to initiate the conversation and I'm supposed to do it this way and say it this. Don't talk about what they did. Talk about how you feel and all these different things. And if I do everything the way that I'm supposed to do, then the conversation is going to be good. Everything's going to be good. And if it doesn't go good, that means I didn't do it right. And I need to do different next time because there's a possibility. And again, this is, sounds so stupid when you say it out loud. There's a way to initiate conflict that where it'll go fine where it's not going to be conflict. I'm going to initiate a conflict without it turning bad. Sometimes you can, but very often it's going to be a difficult conversation. And just because you do what God has called you to does not mean that you're going to get the result that you do, that you want. But if you initiate the conflict the way that God has called you to, at least you are now on a path that has the potential to lead to healing and to health was not talking about it, the only outcome is more dysfunction and more conflict. 
But at least you can get it started the right way. And so then you do. Maybe this is kind of what you do. It's like, okay, I'm like, hey, um, it seems to me that you're upset about something. Are you upset about something? So I come to you and I say that. What do you say back to me? I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And so my question is, why you got to lie? Like, why, like, of all the things in the world that you could say to someone asking you, are you upset about it? You could say anything in the world. And what you choose to say is something that is, like, the only thing that is a lie. You could say anything. And so I'll just phrase it this way. When someone asks you and initiates conflict, just say something. Just say something that isn't a lie. Like anything. You choose anything. Are you upset with me? You know what? I really like cheese. Okay? I mean, at least, because at least you're not adding to the problem by, by creating some sort of a lie. And, there are, and, and the possibilities beyond expressing a desire for cheese, there are actually a lot of really good things that you can say that aren't lies. I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I am a little anxious, but I'm not sure where it's going on. I don't know if it has to do with us or not. I'm not sure what's going on in my brain. I can tell that I'm acting weird. I don't know if I even really know if I'm upset right now. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. There's any number of things that you can say. If you are not in a place where you don't, where you're in a place you don't want to have the conversation, there's plenty of things that you can say that aren't lies. Now, I'm supposed to do this. Do you need me to show you a Bible verse that says don't lie? Me? No, that's in there, right? But it's church, sir. We got to throw one up there. Throw one up there. Colossians 3 9. Don't lie. There it is. Don't lie to each other. You know this. But we have convinced ourselves that this very common lie is harmless. It's a harmless lie. Who is hurt by me saying I'm fine when I'm not? Well, you are because your needs and your hurts aren't being addressed, and they are because you are distancing themselves from you. Rather than bridging intimacy and connection in the relationship, you are pushing them further away, especially for someone who had the courage to do something that a lot of people won't do, which is to step into a potentially hostile situation and say, hey, what's going on here? And to respond to that manner of courage and a step towards intimacy with something that is false is going to damage the relationship, especially if the person that you say it to chooses to believe you. Some people won't be like, well, I guess he ain't, ain't wanting to talk to me right now. I guess she's not wanting to talk to me right now. But what if, what, if, what if he believes it? What if she believes it? And now you're getting more and more and more upset because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're still doing the dumb thing and they're still hurting you and they don't get it. And then you start to think, why won't he just ask me? And then he, she did ask you. He did ask you. But we lie. And we, and we do this all the time. And, we, and we, think, we think we're getting away with it. This is an obscure show, but it's absolutely one of my all-time favorites. It's only on for a couple of seasons. Anybody remember the show, Tim Roth, called Lie to Me? Anybody? <clears throat> so good. 
Such a good show. And it was about this guy, based on a real dude in real life, that was a deception expert. And he would go to like law enforcement agencies and train them and how to detect if someone was lying. It was fascinating to me, especially because I liked Tim Roth, especially because I fancy myself as someone who wants to be an expert on human behavior and the way that people talk and communication, these sorts of things. And so I learned just enough in this show to be dangerous because there are some simple things that we all do, and I'm going to teach them to you, mostly because now I want it to be harder for you to lie to each other, right? So you ask somebody, hey, um... You know, this this will happen in our house. My wife will ask, like, do you want to go on a hike? Now, there's a different question she could ask. It would be much easier for me to answer. Would you be willing to go with me on a hike? Right? That's, would would you go on a hike with me? The answer to that question is yes. Do I want to? That's a different, that's a different question. Do you, do you want, do you want to do this thing and say you don't want to do it? And this is what people will do. Yeah while shaking their head no the whole time. They don't know that their, that their head is betraying them. So they nod their head and say, no, yes. Or you ask somebody how they're doing and they immediately make a frown face. Good, right? And they're, but their face is frowning. Or, and I did this both times, the pitch change. How are you doing today, Charlie? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, I'm really good. Do this all the time. And this is my favorite one. Touching your face. Okay? Touching your face is always a tell that you're stressed, even if you're trying to get away. How are you doing? I'm fine, right? So, so, so this is what you do. And it's, and it's number of hands, how long, and how much touching. You're like, okay, you're being weird now. What are you even getting at? Like, so you ask me, Troy, how are you doing? I'm fine. Troy, how are you doing? I'm fine. Charlie, how are you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> right? It's what we do. And there's all these things that we do. Everything in our body is screaming, I'm not doing well. I need something from you. I need help. I need to talk. I need connection. Everything about your body, your face, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your voice, everything is screaming, I need help. But then the words that come out of your mouth are, I don't. And again, you're only hurting yourself and you're only bringing damage to the relationship. And what it becomes, these just become real, these are just real intimacy barriers between us and our spouse, between us and our closest friends, when we kind of have this habit and pattern of telling what we at least say, or at least we think, are harmless lies. But they're not. But here's what I I don't want you to hear me say. Because there was a time in my wife and I's marriage where we just felt this need to talk everything to death. If you were upset a little bit, we had to talk about it for several hours and yell and get really upset because we had to figure out what it was, who did what, and, 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 and every, every small thing turned into a big conflict. That is not what I'm encouraging you to do. I'm not saying that everything has to be taught to death because there can be just really simple resolutions to things. Sometimes it can be, you know, honestly, I think I'm just tired 
if I, I, if I get a good night's sleep tonight, I probably wake up and it's not going to be a problem. And sometimes, like I'll say, I'll come in, I'll be like, Heidi, what's wrong? And she'll be like, yeah, I think I skipped, I skipped lunch. I need a snack. The number of times that, 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 that Heidi or one of my older two daughters, I, I, any of them really, I, 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 gotta, I don't understand. And this is, this is this, you know, I was about to say here represents a different set of problems. But I certainly do not understand being hungry and not eating food. Like I, like, I, like, I don't understand. Ah, it turns out I was just hungry, and I've been hungry for a while, and I didn't eat food. It's like, man, that's interesting. Like, I, anytime I'm hungry, I eat food. And maybe it is. Maybe it's just my like blood sugar's low. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe, maybe I'm stressed about something else, and it's getting out on you. Maybe it doesn't always have to be talked about. But I think we should be rewarding one another when we show the interest to say, is everything Okay. And we don't want to penalize anybody, again, by lying, by not like, taking steps towards them. It's like, again, there's any number of honest things that you can say that can build trust, that can build the relationship. Let's make sure that we're not choosing the one thing um, that's a lie. Now, um, the last thing that we're going to do, there's this passage in James. And sometimes I, I have taught on this passage before. We have gone through the book of James before. And it is one of the most intense passages, I think, in all of the Bible where James is talking about the power that, that, that words can have. And so I don't necessarily want to spend the whole time here, but there is one last piece of advice that I want to give you that I think kind of can kind of bring a lot of this together and really can kind of help us figure out, I think, what, what, what it maybe is at the core of, of, of quite a few of the conflicts that we have. So we're going to look at this one particular verse, and, 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 I, and I, want to just, I want to give you a heads up front. Like, this verse is wild. It is, it, it, is, it is one of the most intense verses and one of the most intense passages in the Bible. That's a nice setup here, right? James chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Woo! James, man, stop, stop, stop beating around the bush, man. What are, what are you really getting at? It? What, are you, what are you really trying to say? You're being, you're being too vague. I mean, that is, I mean, that is just an overwhelming amount of really powerful imagery to describe the power of destruction that our words can have. Set on fire by hell. Like, what it, basically what he's saying is like there is an incredible amount of power and potential for destruction in the words that you use. And I think there's a part of us that knows that. And I think what I want to say, just very simply, is be careful. Just be careful. Be careful with what you say. You know, the, you know I'm not the first person to say this, probably not the thousandth person to say it, but it feels appropriate to say again, which is, we have this, you know, schoolyard slogan, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, which is in fact really the, the inverse of all of that is true. You, we get into some sort of accident where you hurt me and I break my arm. There is a set, set number of things that I can do to easily repair my arm. It will, take, it will take a couple of months, but after a few months of cast and some therapy, my arm can be essentially almost completely back to normal in a relatively short period of time. But there are things that people can say to you that will carry with you for your whole life. 
There's things that you remember that were 20 years ago. Some of you who are older than that, you remember things that people said to you when you were a kid, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old memories of things that people have said that still can just bring up that sort of pain and anxiety. And my biggest challenge and encouragement to you guys is let's, let's not do that to each other, especially to the people around us that we love the most. And if there's one subset of this that I want to give particular emphasis to, it's for married couples. Do not insult or humiliate your spouse in public in front of other people. Just don't. It doesn't matter that you were joking. It doesn't matter. It certainly doesn't matter if you say you were joking, but even if you are joking, we just don't say things like that. Oh, the old ball and chain. She's always telling me what to do. Nag, nag, nag. <laughs> oh, I don't know about you, but I married an idiot. <laughs> and the other guys laugh. The other women laugh. And we have set someone on fire. And I think this is, this is a word that is becoming increasingly more and more important to me. It's the word considerate. You know, we use these words, you know, think considerate, it has good manners. But really, if you think about what considerate means, it really has this idea of before I say something or before I'm doing it, I'm going to give some extra thought to it. And the extra thought that I'm going to give to you when I'm talking to you is when I say something, I want to, I want to think about what you're going to hear. And I want to say it in a way that you're going to be able to hear it the best. Because very often when we're charged up, we think we're only upset at a 2 out of 10, but what comes out of our mouth is a 5 or 6 out of 10. And what they hear is an 8 or 9 out of 10. Because we didn't take the time to be considerate and to really think about this person that I love, that I've committed my life to, this person that I want to be in a relationship forever, this person that matters to me more than anyone else, is very often the person that we will say the most hurtful things to, not really and truly recognizing the power to destroy that our words can have. And so what happens is that we'll say things. We'll say things that we shouldn't. And now we've got this conflict. Somebody's upset. Somebody's been hurt. Somebody lashed out at the person. You know, and in order, that's kind of how the hurt got. We've got two hurting people. Who's going to initiate? One of the little jokes that I like to use with people is like, well, the person who's going to initiate it has to be the person who's the most mature. Right, trying to goad the competitiveness into get people to initiate. But you got to initiate. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to recognize that my words have power. I'm going to recognize that maybe I've done something. It's like, is everything okay? Or I'm going to take the initiative to say, hey, I really didn't like that when you said that. And then we're gonna, and we're and, and we're and we're going to be considerate about what we say next. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to use my words to escalate the conflict to hurt them even further so they won't ask any more questions. I'm going to be very considerate along the way in the way that I treat them, in the way that I initiate conflict, in the way that I handle myself during the conflict. Because the people that God has put in our lives, they really matter. And the way that we talk to them matters and has potential, huge potential. And the thing is, the very same potential that, the, that our words have to bring destruction, they also have the potential to bring hope and life to people. And one of the things that I just get completely overwhelmed by anytime I talk about this is just 
a lot of what I say just feels impossible. It's very countercultural. It's very counter to all the instincts that we have. And the only way that we're ever going to do things or be somebody that's counter to our instincts is a, through a supernatural process. And it's where we absolutely need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the tools and the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so I don't want you to sit here and just kind of like, well, I'm just going to psych myself up and I'm going to do it different tomorrow. I want this to be a spiritual process of connection with God, of connection with His Spirit, an embrace, a full embrace of the gospel. Let God do that work in us so that then we can be and speak differently in the relationships that we have, especially the ones that matter the most. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for the singles, the couples, the families here. And God, a desire that we all have to honor you, to do better, to be better. And we are thankful for your son and the gospel that gives us the potential to live above the fray, to live differently. And God, I pray that we would, we would fully embrace the gospel, that we would fully listen to your spirit and allow a changing work to happen in us. And that God, that we would take the time and the risk this week to bring healing and restoration to relationships. God, where there has been brokenness and confusion. And the God, that we would take great care in the what and the how of what we say. And again, we are thankful for your son who makes all this possible. And it's in his name that I pray, amen.